So, you've just finished A Court of Thorn and Roses, and you're craving another fantasy world to devour. Dipsy's got your back. Dive into spicy enemies-to-lovers tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. I gotta tell you that the immersive soundscapes are really what makes a good sexy story different from a not good sexy story because it just like adds like it's hard sometimes in like reading a novel to like get the actual feel of what's going on but when it's like oh we're like at the coffee shop and this is like actually happening it's like very different (laughs) and there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves greek gods and goddesses regency era historical fiction for you sam and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure new content is released every week so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again you can always find something new to explore dipsy offers a modern approach to romance through high quality and captivating audio fiction for listeners of the show dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash just break up that's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash just break up. Dipsystories.com slash just break up. Welcome to Just Break Up, the podcast about love, heartbreak, and all the relationship advice you don't want to hear. My name is Sierra DeMolder. And I'm Sam Blackwell. And this week, we're going to tackle topics like how to trust ourselves again, being mm-hmm. fat and healthy, and mm-hmm. being told that we're a bad friend. Ooh. Mm. But Ooh. before we begin, we just want to give you our Surgeon General's warning, which is that Sierra and I are not licensed mental health practitioners. Uh, we didn't go to school for anything except for how to read good. Uh, and mm-hmm. so, you know. It's read well, Sam. <laughs> I know that was the joke. That that. was the joke. Yeah, no, I get it. Okay, I'm sorry. (laughs) Whatever. Go say your thing now. (laughs) Yeah. This is all to say we don't know what we're talking about. We are not professionals. We are not trained in this. We are not mental health um, professionals whatsoever. So please take our advice as you see fit. We are only here to offer our humble musings to hopefully shed some understanding and and maybe some laughs in the incredibly rewarding but mostly confusing experience that is love. All right, Sam, you've got this week's check-in topic, right? Yes. Um, Our check-in topic is inspired by a letter uh, who is from, I don't know what I can ask for in any relationship, which like, Hmm. great. (laughs) Love that energy from you. Uh, Whose pronouns are are she, her, and they, them, and who's writing from up north. Uh, And basically, um, she is asking about texting styles um so we talked about texting like a month ago or so about sort of how yeah we can be like meaning can be misconstrued in this but um how tone is lost yeah right for sure but this question is about like i am a texter who's like very effusive and the things that i say like i use emojis i use capital letters i'm like i'll write a whole novel and i'm dating this man who like responds with like as few words as possible to get his point across. Yes. Um, and yes. it made me think about like 
not just how texting can be challenging because of the fact that like it contains no like nuance when it comes to like tone or facial expression or body language, which help us like understand what people are trying to say to us. Um, but also just that like we approach texting with such different styles that can be really off-putting because there's no like there's no universal standard for what texting means or how we're supposed to use it as like a communication tool. Mm. Tell me about some of those differences. Like I'm thinking about what the letter writer wrote for sure around like, is texting a vehicle for us to like, just get the point across or is it meant to be like a way that we create relationship with each other and like expand our conversation and continue the things that we're talking about is texting meant to be like a synchronous conversation, right? Where we're like talking to each other back and forth and responding immediately. Or is it something more like email where it's like, cool, I saw this text come in and I'll respond to it. Like when I'm ready or when I have the answer to the question that you asked me or whatever it is, like when I'm done watching this show. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm just like thinking about like people use text for such different reasons. And we like never talk about, what it is. We just assume that the other person is using text in the same way that we are. And then when they don't, or they do things differently, we're like, oh my God, are they mad at me? Or like, oh my God, they're being so rude. Or like, oh my God, I can't believe that they're, I can't believe that they're texting back so quickly. Like we don't, this isn't an emergency. Like, why are you doing this? Yes. Oh my God. That's fascinating. I love thinking about the movie example that you just said right there, because like, you know, we'll be sitting watching a movie and I'll get a text message and I feel the obligation to respond to it because I saw it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? For sure. Um, and I feel a sense of guilt when I don't or when I go when those messages go for a while, like unresponded. I've been working. I've been better at that lately because I feel like it's a small manifestation of my boundaries to be like people don't have unfiltered access to me at all times. Yep. But I also know that there are times in which like uh, maybe Willow and I are apart and we and I want and I miss her and I want to talk and we can't like have a conversation or like when we were long distance, mm-hmm. we had a lot of active text conversations. Like let's call right. them that, like where it was rapid response. We were engaged. We were um, we were not just getting back to one another as as one does with a voicemail or an email. Mm-hmm. And I think that maybe that's just a great thing to point out right there that like your texting style can be diverse based on the circumstance, based on the recipient, based on your capacity, you know, mm-hmm. um, that it's not going to match every conversation. The style will not be the same all the time. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, I have different friends who respond or I interact with differently on text because it's like right. some of them, like I have a friend who um, I don't see very often, but then like when she texts me, I like respond immediately because I know that we're like going to have a conversation back and forth for the next like 20 minutes um, until right. one of us has to go do something else. Whereas like if you text me, I'm like, I'll respond to that when I'm ready yeah, to respond bitch, to I'll, it. I'll, I'll, <laughs> Right, hey, you said it, not me, man. We're also in like, we're in like <laughs> daily conversation with each other. And yeah. some of our conversation is about like business shit, right? Where yes, it's like, totally. what do you think about this thing? And I'm like, okay, well, I'll, I'm going to think about that for a bit before I like respond to what I, what is happening. Um, 
And it's just like very interesting for me to think about the ways in which we use text differently. And with the friend who I like am in sort of that like real time conversation with, um, I'm always like, should I tell her when I can't respond anymore or should, or do I just like mm. when, because like, Oh, the, the kitchen timer is going off. And so like, now it's time for dinner. Like, should I be like, okay, it's time for dinner. But it's just weird because it's like, this isn't AIM, right? Like, it's not like a BRB yeah. situation. But like, put is, on my though. away message. If, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it is, though, right? So wouldn't it... I think I'm just, like, thinking about that circumstance. And it's funny that you brought that example up because I think that I have a similar one where, like, somebody that I don't talk to that often, but when we do check in, it's like, oh, my God, how are you? How's the dog? How's the mm-hmm, wife? Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. how's the job? And LOL, this thing, you know? And, but sometimes it does, you do have to say like, okay, I got to go have a great day. Or like, it was, I think we could say like, it was great talking to you. Um, I got to move on with my day, but I hope you're well. Like I, or do we just like leave them on red and let the conversation dissipate? Because I think that's what we're used to in texts, I think. Right. For sure. Yeah. At least I am. And then yeah. you'll respond when you're ready to respond <laughs> when you're not eating dinner yeah. or whatever it is. I guess, like, let's summarize some takeaways. Like, for me, when, especially when I was younger and I was a little bit more anxious, um, I would like to hear that everyone's communication style is different and text message, text messaging as an entity or as a vessel is not a uniform vessel, right? Right. And sure. that little vehicle of communication can change not only person to person, but conversation style to conversation style. Mm-hmm. Um, that just because somebody gets back to you right away once doesn't mean that that they are obligated to do that. Or it, it's not an indication that something's wrong in the future if they sure. take a while to get back to you, you know? That yeah. would be my first takeaway. And I think about, like, you know, the the letter writer talks about, like, I use emojis, I use, like, capital letters, like, the tone of my text messages is, like, very much how I talk. Whereas this guy that I'm dating is is like, yes. oh, I just sort of convey what I need to convey, the information I need to convey. And I think it's also interesting to think about like the ways in which I also adapt to other people's text styles. Yes. <laughs> where it's like, uh, like there are friends of mine where it's like I use so many emojis and it's because like they use emojis to me or like I send so many gifts, which I know is like a millennial trait, but like so many gifts because like <laughs> they send gifts back to me. Um, yes, absolutely. It's it's interesting to like, to think about, right? Like we talk a lot about communication styles and like conflict styles and like how you can shift and adapt to other people's styles in that, or like at least recognize them as like valid ways of, of handling conflict. Um, and it's interesting just to think about like text messaging as, a thing that we can also be adaptive to, right? And we can sort of read mm. what other people are giving us and try and meet those things. And it's also something that we can have like explicit conversations about too, right? As opposed to just assuming that everyone's doing the same thing in the same way and being like, okay, so like what's important to you when it comes to text messaging? Is it like, is, yes. it, is it like oh displaying gosh, like emotion? Is it about like, um, is it about promptness of response and like how are the ways that we're going to communicate about what we want out of different conversations? Because it is like sometimes it's going to be like a, hey, how was your day? Like 
chat back and forth. And sometimes it's going to be like, hey, we need to make plans immediately. So like I need a response ASAP. And sometimes it's just going to be like, hey, uh, I'm thinking about where we should go to dinner next week. Like, do you have any ideas? Which like doesn't need to be a like now type of response. So like, how are we also conveying to each other like what we're looking for in a response and normalizing the idea of being like, hey, I need something quickly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yes. can you respond yes. as soon as possible to this? Because um, we often don't do that because we just sort of assume that the other person is going to know what we need from them when we're texting them. Yes. Yes, absolutely. You know, when you were talking, I remembered the last time we had a check-in topic about conversation texting styles. Mm-hmm. A listener um, DM'd me and just said that they enjoyed the conversation and that uh, brought my attention to, I, I knew this existed because of a family member ha- uses it, but they reminded me that um, some people within like neuro neurodivergent communities um, mm-hmm. like autism will use like a shorthand after a text um, for folks who have a hard time like interpreting tone or body language or um, just reading general social cues. So then it would be like if you're joking, um, you would write a text and do backslash J afterwards or sarcasm backslash S sarcasm or even romantic platonic R S things like that. I pulled, I'm sorry. I was like looking for the DM while we were talking and I couldn't find it. So I can't shout out this person. Um, So I just Googled it really quickly. I think that's something that emojis help with, but it's also good to know that there are other pathways to those shorthands out there. um, If y'all want to check it out or, Or like Sam said, ask your friends, community members, partners, what would be best for them in their texting styles. Yeah. But even emojis mean different things to different people. I know. (laughs) Right? Apparently the cry laughing emoji is like a millennial trash emoji now. Absolutely. And it's literally the only emoji I send. It's like my number one thing. I am yeah. I am so not embarrassed about being a millennial. Like it is fine. <laughs> we can we can have our own things. Gen Z can yeah, have their own things. Right. Like it's it, it is totally fine. You guys fine can by have me. the cool new emojis or like I don't yeah, know. Yeah, we'll what keep is the it? ones no that we've now? like culturally established for each other so that we don't yeah, like suddenly yeah, start yeah, throwing yeah. skulls into things and we're like, I'm sorry, is somebody dying? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is this rat poison or is it funny? <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> all right, y'all. Uh, that was a great conversation. Uh, thanks for that check-in topic to our letter writer and for Sam for bringing us those really eloquent thoughts. Absolutely. I'm really going to be thinking about that. Mm-hmm. You want to get into our letters? Let's do it. Okay, our first letter comes to us from Messy AF, whose pronouns are she, her, who is writing to us from The Void. Hi, Sam and Sierra. Big fan of the pod. Sierra, huge congrats on your new addition to the family. I really appreciate your guys' perspectives and ability to open the door on so many difficult conversations. Part of me hopes that in writing this, I will feel better. And I do realize that you guys have covered breakups in every which way, but I cannot get over my ex and it's starting to impact my day-to-day life. My ex-girlfriend and I were together for three years with a small break in year two. We started long distance. She moved to where I lived after five months. And then by seven months, we were living together in a 500 square foot apartment. She was my first girlfriend ever. I had dated men before her and I came out after having met her and realizing I was gay. I got sober in the relationship because of abuse that was happening when I blacked out. After... 
getting sober and being sober for six months, I came home one day and her bags were packed and she was, quote, leaving. She moved out without warning and started discussing a lot of issues that she was feeling in our relationships. She moved back across the country for three months. The day she landed back there, she called me and said she was regretting leaving. So we planned to stay together, but took the time apart to deal with our issues separately. She came back and we started dating again and she moved into her own place. I helped her furnish the space because she was in nursing school and didn't have a steady income. I also helped with her dog, which was once our dog before she left, and watched her dog while she had long shifts at school, etc. As per usual, the issues that were happening before the break were still happening and after a few bigger fights in, quote, round two, we called it quits. In all honesty, I would have stayed and kept going despite knowing that it was not the right thing. I say all of this to explain that this was an incredibly emotionally charged, toxic, and inconsistent relationship. I came to rely on the inconsistency. I picked fights to feel like she cared about me and did not bring up issues in fear of shaking the boat. The last fight was a good example of how of the situations we were dealing with. I had to go to the hospital because I was having an asthma attack, but I was supposed to take care of both of the dogs the next day and it was prime COVID. She would not come with me or drive me or anything because she had to work and wanted to get enough sleep. I couldn't breathe and was very scared and it was the height of the Delta variant, so I was nervous to be admitted. I asked her to come with me or to help with the dogs if something happened and she would not. When I was out of the hospital taking care of her dogs all day, she went to her friend's house because she had plans with them and wouldn't change her plans to come be with me after a difficult day. I get caught up in how to do things, quote, right, and I tried very hard to be understanding of her schedule and frequency of spending time with her friends, even over spending time with me, because I didn't want to be controlling. I would try to communicate my needs but also would not communicate them when it wasn't, quote, right. I tried to take care of her and love her no matter what in a healthy way. But looking back, none of it was healthy. It was all so toxic and still is. I want to acknowledge my part in this as well. I was no angel in all of this. I did my best, but I got angry and frustrated at times. I can be hard to be around because I'm particular about some things and I don't always know who I am and what I want out of life. So I tend to go with the flow and then get upset when it doesn't line up with what I quote wanted, even if it I didn't want anything. Anyway, this is affecting my day-to-day life because I don't know how to understand what is truly healthy and what isn't. I don't understand how I could have been so blind and willing to stay in something so terrible. And even worse than all of that, I'm still so tied to her. We have had no contact for six months. The breakup was nine months ago, and I see no light at the end of the tunnel. Every time I think about dating, I panic at repeating the past and not understanding what was toxic, what is right, and how to stand up for what I want. How do I see the relationship for what it was without constantly ruminating? How do I trust myself again after feeling so detached from myself from this? How do I find validation as a gay sober woman without her after becoming those things in and through our relationship? I just want some relief from feeling so entangled in her and in what I slash she slash we went through. I appreciate any and all advice. I am in need of your help, as I'm sure you can tell. Love to both of you messy af all right messy af um i am so sorry that you were in a relationship that felt so inconsistent and toxic um and i'm glad that you have found your way out of it even if it feels like 
you would have stayed in it for even longer um, if it hadn't been for your uh, partner uh, pulling the plug. Um, and I am sorry that you're in this position now where you're like looking back on all of the stuff that happened in the relationship and trying to put it all together or make it make sense or figure out where you went wrong so that in the next relationship you can find a place or you can find places where you can avoid some of those traps that you fell in. Um, and just want to recognize that like, that's a really challenging thing to be doing. Um, and it can eat up a lot of our, our brain power, right? It can be, you talk about like, I want to be thinking about this or processing through it, but I don't want to be ruminating. Um, and it is really hard to find that line sometimes in um, thinking about and working through what we went through uh, while not letting it sort of dominate or take over our lives or affect us deeply in the present in a way that's preventing us from being authentic and being present with who we are and what we want to be right. doing. Totally. And you know, three years is a long time to be mm -hmm. in love with someone. And I, I want to confess that like, I think of my most unhealthy relationships, I would have stayed in all of them. <laughs> you know, you said like, I'm so ashamed that I would have like stuck it out, you know, but that's what we do. We stay because it's what humans do. We, we want to see the goodness. We want to see our labor paid off. We want to be affirmed that we are loved, that this, mm. that this time wasn't quote unquote wasted. You know, like we, we stick it out because that's, I think it's a, it's a human trait to try to make things work, that mm -hmm. that's our humanness in action. And it's beautiful really, but it is also beautiful when we are allowed to say, this is not how I deserve to be treated. This is not a fruitful place for me. This is not a safe place for me. I'm going to go find a different safe place. You know, it's, it's beautiful that we try to make it work, but it's even more beautiful when we decide that we deserve better. Um, and in terms of like the timeline that you've been, you're six months out, no contact, nine, nine months since the relationship. Um, this might be like the most cliche poetry line ever but like wounds take time to heal i'm thinking about a physical wound right like um a broken bone or a um uh i was gonna say scratch but i'm like that's like i need something more dramatic like more <laughs> painful than that but then i couldn't think of the right word like a, st a stab wound a like, a is stab. that what i'm yeah <laughs> is that what i'm trying to say uh a machete uh, mark mm -hmm. i don't know um for sure so whatever wound is equivalent to your confusion and heartbreak right now, like um, our, it takes time for our bodies to heal. You know, it takes time for our systems to be reset fully. And even when we, you know, I'm like, uh, you know, recovered from my postpartum healing, but something that somebody told me was like, even when you feel better, Make sure to take it easy because your body's still healing even when you feel like your normal self, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think about like, you know, those physical and non-physical wounds that like, you know, the metaphor of it, right? They start to close up, they get pussy, they get scabby, and then the scab itches and then scab breaks off. But then you've got that like pinkish mark on you and it's still healing and then you know, a year down the line, you're like, okay, I've got a scar. And then five years down the line, that scar starts to fade, you know? So the healing process really is way longer than the initial scabbing over or the initial, mm -hmm. this doesn't hurt anymore. You know, it takes time. And the, 
recovering from heartbreak is the same thing. I, I say this, you know, just to maybe give you a different perspective or more importantly, a different affirmation. When you're feeling pain and you're like, I can't believe I'm still entangled with her. I can't believe I still think about her, that I'm still processing and healing from this relationship. I want you to say to yourself, this will hurt less one day. Not this needs to hurt less right now. Not mm. I'm doing this wrong or I can't believe how fucked up I am about this relationship. It's, it's, Honoring your feelings and saying, yeah, this still hurts. This still hurts. That's an indication of how deeply I cared for this love. And also, this will hurt less one day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think, you know, as you're thinking about your own behavior in this relationship, um, I do want to sort of, I, d I do want to say that, like, when we're in toxic relationships, when we are, are in places where we're not getting our needs met, um, what can often happen is that our behavior shows up in ways that isn't helpful um, yes. or that isn't what we would be doing if we were in a more healthy space with a more healthy person, um, which is not to say that the, that the behavior is okay, but to give you an understanding of you're not alone in behaving in this way in relationships that are toxic, right? Like when I was in toxic relationships, I also behaved really badly. And I would love to go back and be like, hey, how about instead of doing that, you just like get out of the toxic relationship. But that's not how life works, right? Hindsight is 2020. Right. We can all look back at our toxic relationships and say like, oh, I should have left that much earlier, or I should have cut that person off much sooner yes. than I did. Um but that's the benefit of hindsight, right? And in the moment, uh, it's really hard to see all of that because we're in it. We're experiencing it. And it's not clean cut. It's not black and white. It's really complicated and nuanced. Um, and this idea of, you know, I picked fights so that I could get attention. Like, yeah, that's what acting out looks like. That's what, our, that's what we do when we're not getting the things that we need from the people that we need them from. And it sounds like your partner, even just based on that one experience that you had around your asthma attack and having to go to the hospital sounds like your partner wasn't there for you very often or wasn't there for you in the way that you needed. And so, yeah, of course, of course, weird stuff came out of you, right? Like, of course, things came out sideways uh, because you had this partner who was telling you that they loved you, but then showing up in ways that didn't actually prove that love or that didn't take care of the needs that you were asking them to help take care of. Um, and like, yeah, there are things that we can do as we as we learn and grow to try and change some of our communication patterns around asking for what we need, being able to see things differently um, and see things sooner so that we can recognize like, oh, this is coming up from me. This is not this is not a good thing. I don't like being here. And so what do I need to do to get myself out of this situation or change the situation? But like, I think the expectation that will never again behave badly in a relationship isn't a reasonable expectation of us, right? So I'm real, in Sam. the healthiest relationship of my life and I still behave badly sometimes in it, right? I still articulate my needs in ways that are not helpful and that don't actually get across the thing that I'm trying to get across, right? I am sometimes still mean to my partner because I'm mad at him and I don't know how to tell him that I'm mad at him, right? Like this mm. stuff happens, and part of being in relationship right. with people who are also working on themselves and who are also trying to sort of stay 
focused on the goal of the relationship, which is like loving and supporting each other, can create some space for some of those places where our our needs come out sideways. Um, So I want you to look at this and not say like, how do I keep myself from ever doing those things again? But I want you to look at this and say, okay, so when these things happen again, what are some stuff that I'm going to do about it, right? It's not about preventing necessarily the bad behavior. It's about what are the emotions and feelings that came up for me in this relationship and how am I going to respond to them when they inevitably happen in a future relationship? Because that's, that's what relationships are. Two people trying and failing (laughs) often to like meet each other's needs. Yes. And also Um, successfully too, like to be clear, like very successfully often. (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. That's not just, it can't just be failing. It has to be growing in the failure, right? Growing um, and trying things differently. Uh, Sam basically took my last point about (laughs) (laughs) that this is that, that knowing what you did in this last relationship that you maybe aren't proud of or that you recognize now was a way to get your needs met um, in an unhealthy way, like picking fights, as Sam pointed out, Um, you can think like this is an opportunity to know yourself better, right? And like Mm -hmm. Sam said, I will echo, we are not perfect people. None of us are perfect partners. None of us have perfect relationship histories. None of us get our needs met in perfectly healthy ways all of the time. It is impossible. It's impossible. Um, And you can look at this time, this healing period um, with a little bit more tenderness and patience for yourself, knowing that, like I said before, this is going to stop hurting one day, or this is going to hurt less one day. And you can use this time to identify how you got your needs met. And if it was a sustainable practice, a respectful practice, if it was true to you, or if it was a wound response, right? Like, or if it was like, mm. you know, a response to feeling deprived, you know, when I think this is going to be a terrible metaphor and also right. like sad, sad to think about, but like when something is being, I got to think of the right way to say this. Okay. So like, <laughs> you know, like a dog, like, so say a dog, it, no, I don't know. Basically, like when a creature is being, um, I don't know, starved. <laughs> this is so sad. I'm just saying, like, um, we we react when we're hungry. We react right. when we're heartbroken. We react when we're being deprived. We react when we're being anxious. When we're anxious, and oftentimes we react in ways that are so subconscious to our being. Um, those, those triggers, those wounds are activated and, and they're wounds and triggers that we inherited in childhood in a way that we don't even know, you know, mm-hmm. like, of course you responded in this way and it's now is the time, the opportunity to say, okay, that is the way I responded this time. What is a way that is more true to myself and to my partners to respond in the future? Um, yeah. This is an opportunity, really. That's that's how I see it. And it's an opportunity to, like, have a little bit more compassion for yourself um, and to really set the standards for what type of relationship you want, ship you want in the future. You don't yep. want somebody who disregards your needs. You want somebody who sticks around for those hard, hard conversations. Mm-hmm. And you want to be the type of partner that if you act out, if you pick a fight in the future, be like Sam and catch yourself either after the fact or in the moment, right? Like 
I agree with Sam. Like there are still times that my needs come out or my wounds or whatever the fuck we're saying come out in a way that like is unflattering. And sometimes I can catch it mid sentence. I can say, Nope, (laughs) I am acting out. I'm hungry and you're fucking cooking too slowly or I'm feeling (laughs) self-conscious and you're, you know, you made fun of the socks I wore or whatever. Um, Sometimes I can catch it mid sentence and other times I don't. And I have to be the partner that I want to be, which is somebody who goes back and apologize and tries and tries again. Yep. And I'll say like, it's much easier to do that type of work in a relationship that is healthy and supportive. Yeah. Right. Where it is like, Exactly. Oh, I'm really pissed that you're taking too long making dinner and I'm going to say something mean, but then it's like, yeah. And also remember all of the 99 other things that, that he did today that were like helpful, (laughs) you know, like that were like good for this relationship. Um, so it is, it is easier. Like we always talk about how it's easy to trust trustworthy people. Um, and I think it's easier to do that self-care that involves recognizing our needs or our wounds and being able to sort of nourish them when we're with a partner who is also trying to do those things. Um, which is all yes. to say, right? Like, yeah, again, you, you behaved badly in this relationship because the relationship was unhealthy and that's what we do in unhealthy relationships is that we often behave really badly. Um, and so just to give you some faith that like finding people who are going to be able to see you and your needs more clearly than this, this former girlfriend did um, is going to help you also figure out how to react and respond in ways that are more healthy or more productive for you as well. Yes, absolutely. All right, my darling, we hope you feel held and seen and loved and we hope this helps. Thank you so much for writing. We love you. Y'all, as a self-employed person, as a mom of a toddler, I am always struggling with finding time to manage my finances. At the end of a busy week, the last thing I want to do is spend time budgeting all of my expenses or tracking down customer service teams to cancel old subscriptions I no longer use. But now I use Rocket Money and it does all of that for me. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. With Rocket Money, you have full control over your subscriptions and a clear view of your expenses. You can see all your subscriptions in one place. And if you see something you don't want, Rocket Money can help cancel it with a few taps. I love how the dashboard shows me this month's spending compared to last month. So I can clearly see my spending habits and check myself if needed. Plus, they'll help me create a custom budget and keep my spending on track. Rocket Money will even help try to negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with customer service for you, which I obviously love as a somewhat introverted, conflict-avoidant person. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Rocket Money has over 5 million subscribers and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash just break up. That's rocketmoney.com slash just break up. Rocketmoney.com slash just break up. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets 
sweaters, and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune, and luckily I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. Quince has things like premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. And the best part is that all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. This past month, I treated myself to a pair of new slippers because I'm in that hashtag mom life era of my life um, in which... (laughs) Um, I am never not in slippers, and these are 100% Australian shearling-lined clog slippers, and I love that they're slip-on, but they have those durable rubber outsoles. They're super cushy, super comfortable, but I feel like I can run outside to, like, take the trash out in them while also, like, staying warm and active in the house. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash just break up for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash just break up to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash just break up. All right. Our next letter comes from Fat and Healthy, who is whose pronouns are she, her, and who is writing from the motherland. Hi, folks. Longtime listener. Much like a lot of the writers, just wanted to start off by saying that I love y'all a lot. Your podcast is the only one I listen to religiously. Content warning for discussion of eating disorders and fat phobia. Okay, now into the tough step. I just graduated college and I'm temporarily moved back home for a while to save money while I get my career moving. Overall, I love my parents, and while our relationships are not perfect, generally the six-ish months that I plan to stay here weren't going to be an issue. Part of the things I want to get ironed out while I'm home is all of the medical stuff that was just way harder to do out of state for college. Uh, Checkups, gyno, Invisalign, you get my drift. My mom was kind of insisting that I needed to see an endocrinologist. I wasn't opposed to the idea. It's never a bad idea to get your thyroid checked and make sure that all hormones are doing good, especially since I'm young, 22. She kept saying stuff like, we just need to make sure that you are, quote, at optimal function. And I was totally on board. Like, sure, everyone needs to get things checked out. Until it's been getting very insistent. And now both of my parents have said that they're worried about my health which is frustrating for me because I am actually the healthiest I've ever been. A majority of my health concerns growing up have not been an issue in the past four years, including my anxiety that I'm lucky enough to have stopped the medication for that was really messing with me. Nothing wrong with medication. It just always reacts poorly in my system. I keep getting into arguments with them because they keep bringing up that I'm not a small person and that it affects my health. I tell them time and time again, I've had blood work done and my general checkups. I'm healthy. I'm just fat. And that I am happy in my body. It takes care of me. I don't want to lose weight. For reference, I'm a size 16 to 20, depending on the brand, and 5'10". This is the largest I've been, but not by that much. And I truly have no subsequent issues, which perhaps coincidentally went away when I gained my weight back. I struggled with disordered eating in high school and would frequently black out and pass out, hospitalized many times because of organs just not working correctly. None of this happens to me now. 
Basically, my question is, how do I, with love, tell them to fuck off? I understand that they're concerned, but they don't want to be told that they just have antiquated information based on fat phobia. Like, I try to reason with them and tell them that I don't just want to lose weight for weight loss sake. I'm not going to get a nutritionist when I don't have any issues that would point towards me needing one. I eat a normal amount for myself to fuel my body and don't have any symptoms of of intolerances or deficiencies that I can't just deal with. Lactose intolerance is not a reason to need one, LMAO. Thank you for reading and your thoughts if you have any. Oh, my darling, fat and happy. Thank you. Oh, fat and healthy, but fat and happy also works. <laughs> Absolutely. You're both of those things. Fat and healthy. <laughs> Thank you so much for writing um, and for trusting us with this letter. Um, yeah, I have some thoughts. Uh, first, I just want to say... Thank you for trusting us with this. And I'm sorry that your parents aren't showing up in a way that is, um, you know, to me, it's not just that it's antiquated. um, It's that they're not curious, you know, Mm. Um, and compassionate because we know that comments about body and weight do more harm than they do good. Mm -hmm. Um, And I can see I can see their pain coming through their line of questioning for you, their worry for you. Do you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. uh, I can see their wounds showing their wounds are showing. (laughs) And I just want to say, I'm sorry. Like it's it, it, you sound really secure in yourself in this letter. And so there sounds like there's like this, this bubble of protection around you and them and their comments, but it sounds like it's wearing on you. And um, that's real. Like our parents' comments, people close to us, their repeated assessment of our bodies and our health um, can be really damaging. And I'm sorry that you're going through this. Absolutely. Um, And like, I think it's important to just call out or to recognize that like this, um, this sort of tie of, uh, fatness to like not being healthy, um, is like super prevalent, um, and has been deeply ingrained in our society. Um, and we're told over and over and over again that it is impossible to be fat and healthy and that fatness is in some ways causing the rapid decline of the United States and our, on our health and all of this like bullshit that is like objectively not true about fatness. Um, that is actually really harmful because it requires people to have only one type of body, which we know isn't possible because people come in all different types of bodies. Um, And so like not to dismiss your pain, um, but I also just want to sort of say that out loud that like this is a product of their own socialization as well, not just their wounds, but also like the ways in which our society talks about fatness and fat people as somehow being a problem when the reality is, is that like, it's not, it's not a problem. It's just a thing that exists. Um, in terms of like, how do you, how do you go about trying to reason with your parents? Um, I'll say that, like, I think that you've done the work to try and reason with them, right? Like you've been willing to have conversations with them about how you are healthy your blood work is coming back. Actually, you gaining this weight has been a positive because it's meant that your disordered eating has become uh, uh, more under control and that like you feel the best that you felt in 
many years. Like you've told them all of those things. And unfortunately, it sounds like they're just not listening, right? Like they don't want to hear it. They would rather stick to their beliefs, the things that they've been indoctrinated about, than to listen to your real experience as the person standing in front of them saying like that thing that you've been told isn't true for me. Um, and like, that's really painful, but I do think that there's, yeah, you are justified in telling them that this is not a topic of conversation anymore, right? You are justified. I think in putting that boundary up to say, I'm accepting no more comments about my weight. Uh, I have tried to have reasonable conversations with you about, how I feel in my body and how I feel healthy and how I have been doing the work to take care of myself. And so you are not able to hear those things. And so we are just not going to talk about it anymore. It is off the table for discussion. And if you bring it up, I will remind you that it's not on the table for discussion. Um, I think that it's really reasonable for you to say that to them, given the fact that you have tried over and over again to try and communicate with them. And it seems like they just do not want to listen to what you're saying or what your experience has been. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say, honestly, especially because they wrote in the letter, like, how do I tell them lovingly that I'm done with this? Like to fuck off, you know, so I can tell that (laughs) there's still, it's, there's still love here. There's a relationship that the letter writer wants to maintain. And also they've done the labor, they've done the work. Right. Um, And if you, if, just a gentle reminder, if your parents show signs of wanting to be being curious, being compassionate, um, then maybe this boundary can become flexible in the future. And you can mm-hmm. and you can ha- when you feel safer to have these conversations, I don't mean that you need to cut them off completely. But but you know what this letter made me think of, like I've been doing a lot of. Um, I've been following a lot of parent accounts, you know, new sure, mom sure, sure. Mm-hmm. and I've been um you know, preparing for the, the, the impending toddler stage. My baby's only three months old, but like, you know, you want to like know what the fuck you're doing with, with them. And so I've been following this very popular account called uh, big little feelings. And it's all about like a gentle parenting approach that affirms feelings um, and um, pivots punishment away from um, the type of punishment that, that would incite like shame um, or anger and into more growth and learning instead. It's honestly a lot of what we talk about here. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, their thing to toddlers is that you, you affirm their feelings and hold the boundary. So you say, I get it. I I see that you're sad that we can't go to the the playground right now. I I see that you're sad. I'm, uh, you know, that makes me sad too. I'm sorry we can't go to the playground today. Maybe we can go again tomorrow, right? Like it's right. affirm the feeling um, or affirm the feeling, hold the, hold the boundary and, and uh, hold the bar- boundary firmly and with love. And I've been thinking about that in adulthood everywhere, you know, mm-hmm. and I think you can do the exact same things with your parents. If you feel like you have the emotional capacity to do so and energy, because I think Sam's right. Like this is their conditioning too. This is their wounds too. You know, um, what the, I bet you fucking every penny in my bank account that these are things that their parents have said to them, right? And so you can say you can affirm their feelings. Um, I can see that you're concerned. Um, I know you're you're worried about me. Um, I know that you are afraid. I. 
will not be discussing my body with you anymore. Mm-hmm. I see, I see, I see that this is coming from love. It doesn't feel like love to me. So I, it, my body and my health is off the table. Um, and again, like Sam sort of mentioned this, if you have a m- capacity to do so, you could even add like, before you draw this, this ultimate boundary, you can say something like, um, I want you to know, because I love you what I was experiencing in high school. Like, I don't know if your parents know how your disordered eating was manifesting and how it was affecting your body and how you, in contrast, you feel now. So if you feel like you can, you have the energy to share that, I think that that would be, at least for me, if somebody came to me and said, this is how I feel now versus then, and this is what I was keeping from you, it might give them perspective. Fuck it. It might not, and you might have already done this labor. So I don't sure. know, but I would just take the toddler approach. Um, you can say, <laughs> I know that this is coming from a place of love. Um, I know that your fear and your worry is coming from a place of love. It doesn't make me feel loved. It's, you know, so we're no longer going to be talking about my body and health. We can talk about anything else you want. We can talk about art, weather, music, the political climate. We can talk about <laughs> recipes as long as you don't talk about the caloric, you know, whatever, like, right. you know, but, um, it is, this is not a, you can stress, this is not a limiting of our relationship. It is a sustainability choice. It's about mm. fostering healthy conversations, not limiting conversations. Let's talk mm-hmm. about something else better, right? <laughs> better than this, this bullshit. Absolutely. Uh, and I think that that's, I think that the way that Sierra uh, positioned it is a great way to be thinking about it. Um, and I also just want to, again, say how, how deeply sorry I am that this is a conversation that you have to have with your parents. Um, and that it's like up to you as the person who's being really victimized by this fat phobia to establish this boundary and have this hard conversation with your parents. Like it sucks that that not only do you have to receive this sort of, um, abuse from your parents, but also that you have to be the one to like put a stop to it as well. Um, and having to play both those roles is just really challenging. So I'm sorry that that's, that's the way that, that Sierra and I sort of see it, um, and that you're being put in that position. Um, and I really wish that you weren't, um, but I hope that, uh, some of the things that we've framed out for you are helpful in in doing that in a way that's going to be helpful and productive for you. I just want to say really quickly too, like, you know, the going back to the toddler, comparing your parents to toddlers, um, <laughs> sure. you know, they say like you can gently hold a boundary all day. And then there are days that you need to pull physically pull your child from the middle of a street. Right? right. So I want to say in closing that you can gently and lovingly say, remind these people like, um, you know, my my body and my health is not up to discussion. This doesn't feel good to me. Um, I love you, but I don't want to discuss this with you. If this is repeatedly overstepped, if if this is repeatedly ignored, then I give you full permission to mid sentence, get up and leave the room. Like Mm -hmm. if, if the, if the soft boundary, if the gentle um, manifestation of boundary isn't getting across to them, then you have to be firmer. And then that means they say, well, we want you to, we're worried about, and you just get up and leave. Like that's, Mm -hmm. that's when you're saying like, no, and you, and you're doing it with compassion. Like I think a lot of times, boundaries are talked about 
well, we've talked about this before, um, that boundaries are discussed as though they are either way too soft or they have to be really firm and hard and they can be malleable. They can change and grow. Um, and they are circumstantial. Like I, I boundaries can come across as being really cold, but this is a way for you to have really compassionate boundaries. Like I, I see that you're worried about me. I, this is not up for discussion. And then also when that compassion runs out, when that, when you're not, when your compassion is not met with more compassion, right. Mm-hmm. Then mm-hmm. you can get up and leave the room. Absolutely. All right. Fat and healthy and happy. All three of those things. Uh, Thank you so much for writing to us, for trusting us with this question. Um, Again, so sorry that you are in this position, Um, but I have faith that you're going to figure out how to establish some of those boundaries with your parents uh, so that you can sit in what you know to be true, which is that you are fat and healthy and happy all at the same time. And that other people don't need to see that or be part of it because you know that it's true. Absolutely. Um, we love you. Thanks Thank for you writing. so much for writing. Time out. Just like a time out little like conversation epiphany that I had in my brain. I know this is probably like very obvious to every single one of our <laughs> listeners and you. But when the way I've categorized boundaries in my mind for the last, I don't know, since I learned that word is that it's a reciprocal thing it's a Mm -hmm. it's it's a thing that you get the other person to understand and then they help and then they're like okay cool i will respect your boundaries i i've literally categorized it in my brain as a exchange when it's not an exchange at all Mm -mm. (laughs) (laughs) i was just sitting there like you're like you said I am, um, um, we have, we're confident we can, you will be able to effectively communicate your, your boundaries to your parents. And I, in my mind, I was like, but they will, may not be able to effectively respect them. And then I was like, well, dang, that doesn't mean she didn't effectively communicate, you know, like communicate them to them. Just sort of little tiny, obvious little mind blowing moment that it's, it's not about getting the other person to understand your boundary. Absolutely. But although like I like to I love to lead with love and compassion. Right. And recognizing that we're all dealing with different tools and different texting styles and different histories. Mm -hmm. So it is noble of us to try to lead with compassion and try to get the other person to understand our boundaries and help us enforce them. And also they are always only ours. Absolutely. And I think I think sometimes when we view it the other way where it's like I've told that person that my boundary and so therefore they need to respect it and like change their behavior immediately it's like I think of it as like being a boundary bully where it's like you're using your own preferences to like enact like violence is a really intense word so but I can't think of another word but like to enact some sort of like (laughs) discomfort or whatever on on the other person Um, stabs right when it's like (laughs) I've told you my boundary. (laughs) You're stabbing them with your words. I've told you my boundary and now you're not doing it. So therefore you're a horrible person. And it's like, no, 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 that's not, that's not how it works. Like the boundary is about you figuring out how you are going to like create this space between you and the other person. If, and when they do something that doesn't work for you. Um, And recognizing that our boundaries have to be about us and not about other people. Because otherwise, then we're just telling other people how to live their lives or do the things that they're doing, which is like not a super effective tool, right? Like, it's all about like, what are are you doing? (laughs) Yeah. 
Sorry, I'm just like little mind mind explosions because this is where the getting up and walking away thing comes in, or this is where the pulling your toddler out of the middle of the road comes in, you know, physically removing them from the place. Mm -hmm. It's because like, you know, how many fucking letters do we get that are like, these people aren't, this person isn't respecting my boundaries. They keep on talking about this thing that I told them not to talk about, or they keep, you know, I don't know, sleeping with other people, even though I told them not to do that. (laughs) And so that's the tricky part, right? It's like, how do you, if the metaphor is to get up and remove yourself from the conversation, how do you do that when it's sometimes not a conversation or it's not possible to get up and leave, you know? um, And I think that just like highlights how important it is to have those boundaries secure in your heart. So you can disrupt conversations. You can not put yourself in situations with people who routinely hurt you, you know, like there has to be some agency there to some choice. Yeah. It's just interesting. I'm just, yeah, it's like a little little boundary curious curiosity. You have the power to enforce your own boundaries is, will it be painful? Possibly. Will it mean that you have to give up something that you don't want or that you, or give up something that you do want or a relationship with somebody that you care deeply about? Like, yeah, but you have the power to do it. It's not up to the other person. Like the other person doesn't have all the power in the situation. Like you also have things you can do, which is like, break up with the person or not talk to yes. that person anymore. Um, and again, like we often think about boundaries as being like you slam the door down and then like nothing ever gets through. They can shift and they can change as time goes on. But, but so often yeah. we see ourselves as being unempowered in relationships. And we think that like boundaries are telling the person who has power in the relationship about what they can and can't do. But it's like, you also have power in this relationship, which is like, you can leave or yeah. you can, yeah. Not talk to the person or you can remove yourself from the situation. Obviously, that's not true in all circumstances, right? When we're thinking about relationships that are abusive and people are like stuck in them. But it is important to recognize that like it's not just about trying to change the other person to get them to be better to you or to right. It's about like how are yes. you validating and appreciating yourself in ways that allow you to create space between you and people who aren't treating you well, yes. right? Yes. And I think it's important, like the, another epiphany that I had right here, going back to our last letter is like, you know, especially in this relationship, a parental relationship, one that you don't, you're not at the point where you like don't want them in your life anymore, but they're mm-hmm. not, they're obviously not hearing you. So then maybe the boundary becomes like, they're going to continue to say this shit to me and I'm not going to engage. Like, I'm not going to let it hurt. Maybe the boundary is one of the heart where you're like, I know that they keep, they're not, they're choosing not to hear me. They're choosing not to like approach me with compassion and curiosity. I can't get them to stop because that's just the way they are. And I'm, and I also don't want to take the other route of getting up and leaving the conversation because I don't know, I'm non-confrontational or I don't want to like hurt my mother and, you know, like have her have like an emotional breakdown. You know, there's a hundred reasons why our boundaries can just look like an internal acceptance of who that person is and what we can expect from them and what we won't accept from them. You know, Um, not saying that a boundary is like, agreeing that somebody is going to hurt me, (laughs) but also recognizing that there's like, I have a boundary internally where I just like emotionally turn off when a loved one of mine like goes to a place that I don't want to go. I like, just don't, I like 
don't let that get to me. I don't know. Like, sure. <laughs> it's just interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just thinking about how, like, maybe the getting up and walking away in the middle of a conversation wouldn't necessarily be sustainable for a relationship of mine. And also, like, maybe it would. I keep yeah. going back and forth. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know. Right. Uh, that was just like a little segue into Sierra's thoughts. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, all of this to say to you that, like, if somebody shares a boundary with you, like, you are, you should also respect it too, right? Like, I know that we've been talking <laughs> yeah. about how, like, it is, like, part of the boundary setter's responsibility to, like, establish and maintain that boundary. But also, like, let's not be dicks, people. So, like, if somebody tells you a boundary, like, respect yeah. it. <laughs> Yeah, period. That's that's great. Okay, let's. Uh, thanks for that little like segue into into my thoughts. Um, let's mm-hmm. get into our last and final letter of this episode. Our last letter comes to us from bad friend whose pronouns are she her, who is writing to us from immersed in friendship grief. Hi Sam and Sierra, I wanted to start by thanking you all for the advice you've provided me and other listeners over the past few years. I started listening to JBU two years ago, which feels insane to think about. The pandemic has further convinced me that time is completely fake. Absolutely and is. it's been a source of comfort over these two trying years. Um, in When I was delivering our child, um, one of the like nurses said, in, in this um, baby, baby, what, <laughs> what the fuck is it called? Like nursery? Uh, what? Where do you where do you go deliver babies? <laughs> like, like a, a delivery it, room? Yeah, a ward. You know, like yeah. in, mm-hmm. the, like in, a the, in the in the in the. Thank you. In <laughs> whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, so in in the maternity ward, time is a flat circle. And mm-hmm. so that is what Willow and I have said to each other since our daughter was born, um, because everything is everything happened five seconds ago and 30 years ago. So time is a flat circle. Absolutely. All right. My letter today is actually kind of about time, more specifically how it supposedly heals all wounds, but still hasn't healed my wounds. About a year and a half ago, when I was a junior in college, I went through a major falling out with my closest friends that left me fairly friendless. I still had friends, but not very close ones. The story of this falling out is long, and I'm pretty sure I've written in about it in the past. Sorry for all the desperate letters, but it can be summarized as I was not a good friend. In my freshman year of college, after a very friendless childhood where I felt so othered due to my race and cultural background, I'm an Asian immigrant, I finally befriended a group of four other women. None of these friendships were perfect from the start, but I cherished my friends dearly and I tried my best to care for them. I paid a lot of attention to the things they told me they liked. I wrote thank you notes to each of them at the end of the semester. Still, I was a disappointing friend. Nothing I did constituted a life sentence friendship crime, but it is behavior that I'm not proud of and that I would not do again. It ranges from me simply being a neglectful friend, not intentionally setting aside time for my friends, not attending their emotional needs, prioritizing a hookup over them, not following up with them when they were going through things like significant health scares, communicating poorly, often not at all. To be to being malicious, like talking about one friend behind their back, betraying trust. 
I started dating my friend's ex-boyfriend without talking to her first. Not to mention I started dating him only a few days after she came out to him as a lesbian at a time when she was feeling quite vulnerable in her relationship with him and after she had trusted me with a lot of intimate details about her relationship to her sexuality. Though I knew she had broken up with him and was seemingly moving on, I really should have checked in with her first um, and I regret my lack of communication. I think a lot of underlining resentment started bubbling up and the three of my closest friends all friend dumped me at approximately the same time. I spent the rest of my time in college reeling from these losses in the midst of the pandemic trying to make new friends but struggling. Meanwhile, these three friends got even closer to each other. This past academic year, my senior year, ended up being very difficult. I had to see them on campus every single day and it broke my heart to see how loving they were to each other. I apologized to each of these friends immediately when they friend on me. And then last October, about a year after the initial falling out, I reached out through a mutual friend to ask if they would be willing to hear another apology since I felt like my initial apologies had not been very good. They asked me not to contact them. So I've been keeping my distance, even though I really, really wished that they had been willing to hear me out. They've effectively iced me out all year to the point that for most of the year, they simply did not acknowledge my existence. I cannot express how heartbreaking it was to say hi or try to smile and wave and be totally ignored like I don't even exist. Oh, that made me emotional. Mm -hmm. Um, I spent a lot of time anxiously looking around the dining hall to see if I would see them and crying in the bathroom. It's a good thing that I'm not ashamed of crying in public. <laughs> I still think about them basically every single day, even though I barely know anything about them anymore. And all the emotions these thoughts bring me, to, uh, uh, thoughts bring, and all the emotions these thoughts bring me are so painful. So much envy, regret, shame, and pain still. I've spent so many sessions with my therapist discussing these friend breakups and why they've hurt so much. I tried hard to reprogram beliefs I have about being a bad friend, and I try hard to maintain a more neutral perspective of myself. I didn't know how to be a good friend, and that isn't a personal failing. Honestly, I think of it more as a societal and cultural failing, that we aren't taught better conflict resolution skills and how to be good, true friends to one another. So many of the narratives we receive about friendship are such a major major disservice to us. And I certainly felt prey to that, expecting my friendships to be easy all the time and require no effort on my part. I know better now and have tried to cultivate healthier friendships, but I struggle with not seeing them as, quote, better than me or at the very least knowing better than me. After all, they haven't fucked up so badly that they lost most of their friends. Sure, they've been disappointing friends as well, as we all have, but not so disappointing that they've lost all their friends. While we might all be disappointing friends, I was on a whole other level of disappointing, a different level of bad, meaning they seem to be so good to one another and always have been. They were always closer to one another than I was to them. My anxious mind tells me that they are good friends, good people, and that I am a bad friend, a bad person, and that this is the strongest signal to me that my guilt over these friend breakups has turned into toxic shame because now it's become an identity. 
Mm-hmm. I've read probably every piece of advice there is out there on how to move on after friend breakups where you've caused the harm. I've tried to apologize. I've respected their boundaries. I've reflected on the reasons I've caused them this harm. And I've tried to make new friends, though I've struggled. I've had plenty of time. And though the pain has dulled, it still hurts like hell. According to my research, the only thing I can really do now is try to rewrite this story so I can accept it. Take the lesson and move on. This Mm -hmm. is where I'm turning to you for help because I don't think I am a fair judge of myself at the moment. How do I rewrite this story and let go of these failed friendships? How do I accept that I fucked up in a way that was so unforgivable? How do I forgive myself for not knowing any better, for being immature and irresponsible? I just graduated and I'm moving to a new city soon. And I really like to read, I'd really like to leave this pain in the past as much as possible, or at least not be so haunted by it in the next chapter of my life. Thank you so much and sending you love and peace, bad friend. Mm-hmm. Oh, that made me so sad. <laughs> um, <laughs> Bad friend, I am sorry that you are carrying this deep, deep pain in you. Um, It is a pain that I see and feel seeping out of your letter. And I don't cry because you did such horrible things. And I don't cry because I pity you. I cry because I feel your hurt and the heaviness of it. And, um, And I want you to know that... You did not fuck up in a way that is unforgivable and that I just, I actually want Mm -hmm. to start by saying, I've been talking a lot about like curious, curiosity and compassion in this episode. And I, because I've been reflecting on how we like lose our humanity in our, in our growth sometimes, like when we establish boundaries, when we when we cast judgment on other people for their um, fuck ups, for their mistakes, for their growth. Um, It doesn't mean they have to be in our lives. It doesn't mean we can't establish boundaries, some of the firmest boundaries. It doesn't mean we can't kick people out of our lives, but we sometimes lose our, our humanity in that because um, we forget that the other person is human. I can see another person and say, like, I don't want you in your life, in my life because of how you treated me. And also you're a human who doesn't deserve to fucking cry in public, be, like who doesn't deserve to mm-hmm. be, feel as though they are not, that they, they don't even exist. Like, I, I just want to say like, this honestly, like I feel I'm stuttering because I'm sure this is in contradiction to advice I've given in the past, but like, I'm disappointed in these ex friends, um, for how fucking cold they were to you because I feel like it, um, you, it is possible to be both firm in your boundaries and compassionate. And I don't think that this was normal or warranted. Um, does, you know what I mean? Like, hmm? well, I don't know who am I to like talk about, who am I other than a podcast host um, to talk about like how people deal with their pain. But from what I see in this small slice of life to from one human to another, to the letter writer, like you don't deserve to be ignored. It's possible to wave at people you don't fucking like. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I don't know. It is possible to do that. Um, And I think that that's often a thing that we should be doing more of, but that's, (laughs) That's just my opinion. Um, yeah, I think 
I think it's important to remember, I'm not even going to call you your name bad friend because uh, I don't think you are a bad friend. Um, I'm just going to call you friend. You're our friend. Yeah. <laughs> uh, important to remember, friend, that these three women are not the arbiters of whether you are a good or bad person, right? These three women are just three women who have relationships with each other, who at one point had a relationship with you and who are flawed and complicated and complex and don't know any more than you do about how to do life because none of us know any more than anyone else about like what life is going to be like or what we should be doing in it, right? So yeah. they, they don't have some sort of like secret knowledge of you that is somehow determining whether or not you're a good person or a good or bad friend. Um, they're just three people who made decisions based on their experiences and based on where they are in the world. Decisions that like may have served them well, may not be serving them well. Who knows? We're not in their bodies. We are not, you know, part of who they are, but they're, they're just people. And this, this sort of narrative that you have that like, Yes, they are flawed and they had some bad things, but I'm flawed on a deeper level because these people decided not to be friends with me. But I want to point out, right, these three flawed people decided to not be friends with you, a flawed person, right? They're not like these gods that can like that are so perfect and get to decide whether or not you are worthy of friendship, they're just three people who are deeply flawed, who maybe handled the situation in a really poor way. I don't know. I wasn't there, right? Like, I don't know what what's going on in their bodies, but like, doesn't seem like a very helpful or compassionate thing to do to do this in this way. Um, frankly, seems really clicky to me as if they're sort of like in-grouping and out-grouping and you're on the outside and they are affirming their relationships with each other by ostracizing you. But that is, <laughs> that's my own opinion, not being in any yeah. part in this relationship. Um, so one of the things that you can do is really just try and humanize them, right? Like you don't, they don't get to decide whether or not you're a good person because they are not you. They're not in your body. They don't know why you were making the decisions that you were making. And it sounds like they did some things to you that were pretty not great as well. And that those things are not more or less not great than the things that you did. And often, right? If you had felt super supported in these relationships, if you had felt super connected to them, my guess is, is that you would have behaved differently with some of these people in ways that would have been more conducive to a friendship. But it's just an imperfect situation. You're not the only factor that's at play here. You're one of a million yeah. different factors that led to this outcome. And I know it can be easier. It can be comforting, in fact, to look at it and say, like, I'm going to take all of that on because then that means that I can control it. That means that next time I can change and I'll make sure that this never happens again. But the reality is, is that it's not in our control, right? Of course, we can always be doing things to be different and to try and to be better to the people that we love and the people that we want in our lives. And also so much of our relationships and the way that our relationships pan out is because of circumstances that are 100% outside of my our control. Who knows what other 990,000 things were happening in that moment that caused them all to decide to break up with you, but you're not the only or even possibly the most important factor in why those decisions were made or why they did that thing to you. Yeah. And I 
I'm going to say, like, because I hear you listening to, I can imagine you listening to what Sam said and just railing off the specifics of what you did. Like, Sam's mm-hmm. like, it could be a hundred reasons. And then I hear your subconscious saying, no, it was because I ignored them and I prioritized other things over them and I dated their their ex-boyfriend. You know, like, I know that you have made an assessment. You've taken the inventory of all the ways that you fucked up and you know it by heart. And you know it by heart. You can you can list it to us and to a therapist and to a new friend and say this this is the roadmap of exactly how I lost these people. Mm-hmm. And to that, I want to say there's not a thing on that list other than dating. No, there's not a thing on that list that I haven't done. I can't say that I dated somebody <laughs> after right after they came out. You know what I mean? Like or like yeah. Yeah. that that the specifics of this situation, right? But I've dated a friend's ex. Right. I've prioritized a hookup over them. I have not texted back. I've not been there when people are in conflict or in struggling. Like every single one of those things I have done as I was on my very arduous journey on learning who I was and learning how to be a friend. Because I totally agree. Just like romantic relationships, friendships are similar. There are not a very, they're not, there are no, we are not born with manuals on how to be in relationships with one another. And we are given nothing but bad examples by our loved ones and by our society and by culture as a whole. Right. And some people just get it right. Some people, the people out there, they're like, Oh my God, they're good friends because they text back or because they like to prioritize their friendships over their romantic relationships. That doesn't make them a better person. That means that they have different preferences than we do, just like we can have different texting styles just like we can have different attachment styles, love languages. Those people have different conditioning, different desires, different, you know, um, interests. And that's why they're showing up in this way. It doesn't make them better. It just makes them different. Mm-hmm. And and I, too, I just want to say that, like, I am always so self-conscious about my friendships because of whatever choices I've made in my life, including shitty ones, including hurtful choices. I don't have a lot of friendships and I don't have a lot of long lasting friendships. Sam's one of my oldest friends. And that's just from the grace of God. (laughs) (laughs) We also started a business together. That's just because like, (laughs) yeah, 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 yeah. Um, But you know, like I, I guess I just want to normalize like losing friends. Mm. I want to normalize making mistakes, especially Mm -hmm. in your twenties when you really are out on your own for the first time. So you're figuring out what it feels like to really date, to, to go to school, to have a job, to be in relationship with so many fucking people at once, because we know we're at the most connected time of our history. And Yeah, it's impossible to sustain all of those, especially because we are all fucked up and we are hardwired, (laughs) guaranteed to make mistakes. Um, I have my four years. Sorry, I just want to figure out how I wanted to say this. Mm -hmm. Four years, I thought I was a bad person because of how I hurt my friends when I first went to college um, Mm -hmm. for years. Mm -hmm. For years, mm-hmm. I I internalized it like you internalized it, and I thought, and it just it just contrib- it contributed to the narrative of myself. And there are days that I still have to correct it. You know, there are still there there are days that I still have to tell myself I'm not a bad friend 
because I don't have a lot of friends, right? I have mm-hmm. to tell, you know, I have to tell myself that I'm not a bad friend because I, you know, like if, if I had a, if, if, if Willow and I had a real non COVID wedding where more than 12 people are invited, I was like self-conscious that I like didn't have a ton of people that I would invite. Mm-hmm. And I had to tell myself that that's not like a, a reflection of who I am as a person. That's just, that's just the effect of a life lived. Right. Mm-hmm. And everybody's life is different than mine. Um, and the friendships that I do have now, I'm deeply, deeply invested in and deeply proud of. Um, that's funny. Uh, Spencer pointed out the other day that my new favorite word is deeply. <laughs> Sorry, Spencer, <laughs> I just said it three times. <laughs> um, <clears throat> anyway, um, I guess I just like, I guess I just want to say, you know, I did what you did. I made my mistakes part of my identity and I carried them around for a really long time. And eventually they just, they no longer served me. It no longer served me to hate myself Mm -hmm. and it no longer served me to consider myself a bad person because if I was a bad person, then everyone around me became bad people because I saw how common these types of mistakes were. Um, and I just, I wish for you to, to let, to set this down sooner than later. I know that even our words, your therapist words and your own, your own assessment of yourself, it might take some time to forgive yourself for this, but you haven't done anything that I haven't done. Um, So if I forgive myself, then I forgive you too. And I also just want to go back to what I started with, which is like your friends did something clicky and cruel, right? They Mm -hmm. were in, we are all within our rights to say you are not for me. So I'm going to respectfully step away. We are all within our rights to say it, this is not a safe reciprocal relationship. So I'm going to leave it lovingly and, and wish you well, but we know that to isolate someone to to not acknowledge their existence is dehumanizing. Mm-hmm. So for for a moment, as as you are making all of the space in your heart for every single mistake you've ever made, make space in your heart for the fact that like how they treated you in the end was cruel. Mm-hmm. Whether or not they had justification, whether you know. And they're and they're humans too, and they're and they're figuring it out, and they're doing it the best sure. that they can. So that's how they figure. It. You know, I think about all the times that I've been in a room with somebody I didn't want to talk to, and how like I for sure have fucking not made eye contact and Absolutely. like avoided them. Like have done like, that. My unhealthy self was like, cannot deal with this. But then there were other circumstances where down the road I said, okay, if you see them, you're just gonna smile, you're gonna say hi. And then you're going to move on, right? Like that is the mature manifestation of your boundary right there. When you're just like, I can be in the same room with you and it's not going to depreciate my sense of self and my security, you know, and they, and they couldn't give that to you. And I'm sorry. Um, But Hey, you know, just a quick summary, like you don't need to punish yourself about this anymore. You're done. You've done Mm -hmm. your time. Let me let me tell you from the bottom of my heart that it's over. We don't need any more of this from you. You you have paid your price. You have done your toll. Whatever you need to tell yourself to say, I'm forgiven. I am forgiven. I am forgiven from Sam and Sierra. I'm forgiven from the universe. I'm forgiven from the Just Break Up listeners. I sure. no longer need to hear from them that I am forgiven. Yep. Yeah, because, you know, you talk about how you fucked up in a way that's unforgivable. And I just want to point out, 
it's not unforgivable. It may be unforgivable to these three people, but it's not unforgivable, right? Like there is forgiveness out there for you, not from these three people. And they don't get to decide. They don't whether or not you're a good friend, whether or not you deserve forgiveness. Like they're, they are off in their own world now doing their own thing. They have, they have abdicated any sort of right to decide whether or not you get to move on with your life um, because they've cut you out of theirs. So I forgive you. Sierra forgives you. I think a lot of people listening to this are going to forgive you. And so don't hold out for these three women to come back to you with some sort of kindness or forgiveness because they're not. And they don't get to decide. They're just three people in a universe that is full of at least like 7 billion people and who knows how many space aliens. So like they are, they're just three. They're only three. And yes, they have outsized importance because of your relationship, because of the experiences that you've had with them. But again, they don't get to decide whether or not this is unforgivable. They get to decide whether or not you are part of their life and they've made that decision. But the the inherent quality of the things that you've done, the inherent quality of you as a human being is not up to them. It is it is innate. It is part of who you are. It is undamaged by the things that you've done to other people for good or for bad. Um, and so I want you to find that forgiveness, but I want you to find it away from these three people who have made it clear to you that they're not capable of giving you forgiveness, not because you're unforgivable, but because for whatever reason, they've decided that they're incapable of doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we love you. If it isn't glaringly obvious, we love you <laughs> and uh, we believe in you. Um, we give you permission to to set this down. Uh, thank you so much for writing, my darling. We hope this helps. We love you. Thank you for writing. All right, this brings us to the brings us to the blind date okay. segment <laughs> of this episode. Every show, we like to shout out something that we love that we want to set you up with. And this week, we are sending you home with a podcast called Maintenance Phase, um, which is hosted by Michael Hobbs and Aubrey Gordon. Michael Hobbs um, was once the co-host of uh, You're Wrong About, which is another one of my favorite podcasts. Yep, yep, uh, yep. But this one is focused specifically on um, debunking junk science around health fads, nutrition, wellness scams, Sweet. nonsensical nutrition advice. Um, and I thought it would be a great blind date given what we talked about in the second letter. Um, but what I love about what they do is they go into different aspects of sort of what we assume is right or true about science related to health, particularly around nutrition, particularly around fatness and and weight, um, and really sort of show the junk science that is contributing to these myths around people's bodies, around how people should or should not be eating, um, how people yeah. should or should not be exercising. Uh, and it's really it's helpful for me to listen to this podcast and have my own assumptions or understandings of health challenged in such a meaningful way. Um, and they do it in a way that is both like sort of angry, uh, frustrated, but also like very funny and charming. Like they're just like very funny, cute, adorable humans. Um, and I, I really appreciate the work that they're doing to try and, you know, change the way that we think about things like calorie intakes or change the way that we think about um, what exercise could or should look like. Um, 
And they often also do like they'll read books about like diets and they'll sort of go through where all of the different um, problematic thinking is in them. Uh, And I find it really helpful for me to sort of challenge my own feelings about my own body and my own feelings around my own eating and exercising. Um, And it's really helpful for me to really challenge my assumptions about other people, too. So, uh, again, it's called Maintenance Phase. It's hosted by Michael Hobbs and Aubrey Gordon. Uh, You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. That sounds awesome. I'll definitely be checking it out. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. You can like us on Facebook and you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Just Break Up Pod. You can slide into our DMs, send us your favorite relationship memes, but most importantly, you can submit your questions about all matters of the heart at JustBreakUpPod.com, which is also where you can find our merchandise. Also, you can subscribe to YouTube and find all of our episodes, videos of our episodes there at JustBreakUpPod. Please remember to follow, like, subscribe, and give us a five-star rating and review wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube, which you can also do. Um, And please (laughs) consider supporting us on Patreon. If you support us on Patreon for as little as $5 a month, you'll get an additional bonus weekly episode, as well as access to a back catalog of over 100 episodes. That's patreon.com slash justbreakuppod. This literally keeps the mics on and helps us reach more brokenhearted souls who need two random strangers giving them relationship advice. JBU is a production of Duvid Media, original music, recording, editing, producing all magical things by our good friend Spencer Worth Davis, a.k.a. Big Cats. Make sure to check out his music on Spotify and his most recent podcast, Finding Quantum Quest. And remember, loving yourself Actually loving yourself means accepting yourself, not expecting perfection from yourself, but accepting the things that has brought you to today. You know your heart. You know how hard you're trying, how hard you were working, and all of the things that you've had to overcome. We are all works in progresses. We are all works in progress. And if all else fails, just break up. Progress is this. <laughs> <laughs>